they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday that falls between the Feast of Christ the King and the first Sunday of Advent. And we shall begin with prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot, plenis uncelia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, welcome. And this past Sunday was the Feast of Christ the King. And on that, we celebrate the kingship of Christ. Do we acknowledge him as Lord? Do we make him the king of our life? Do we ever pray, heart of Jesus, king and center of all hearts, rule thou supreme in our home and in every home? Do we truly want Christ to be the king? Well, we have to ask ourselves those questions and the beautiful readings, you know, of the kingship, that th- this king would come. Remember the um, in the book of Daniel, you had the the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that he wasn't going to tell anybody uh, uh, if someone was really inspired, they would have to tell him the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel was the only one who was found who could tell him the dream. And he told him the dream and the statue Nebuchadnezzar saw and all these different elements from which it was made, the gold and the iron and the bronze and the the clay tile and and, uh, iron feet. And, and, and Daniel explains it. And then in the end, in the dream, the king sees a stone that's hewn out of a mountain without being touched. And so um, Daniel explains the dream, and he says, what will happen is a king will come, a king, um, and he will set up a kingdom that will last forever, a kingdom that will have no end. 
And so this is what we're looking forward to. And, and it's interesting because Christ is king and, and we, we find it interesting to look at his life. And more than interesting, we find it at times frightening and a bit um, disconcerting that he reigns from the cross. Christ reigns from the cross and the crib. So here we have this total poverty, humility, and subjection of Christ to just being human. The second person of the Blessed Trinity became man. He really became man. He emptied himself. Although he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And and so um, every year we celebrate Christmas, but to prepare for Christmas, we celebrate Advent first. So we have the Feast of Christ the King. That's the last major feast day of the year, the liturgical year for Catholics. This weekend, Saturday, is the last day of the year. Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, is the first day of the new year. We are going to celebrate New Year's. And we should examine our lives and ask if our lives are in line with Christ and his kingdom. Or are we praying for his kingdom? Do we long for it? You know, Christ came to redeem us. Do we look like we're redeemed? And oftentimes we look at the misery around us and we think, uh, no, um, what happened? Where, where's this salvation he brought, right? And so in Advent, we're awaiting the coming of Christ. You know, every year we celebrate this birth of our Lord. Over 2,000 years ago, he was born, and yet we still celebrate it every single year. Well, we're also looking for his second coming, his coming at the end of time. It's not just a, the past event that we do celebrate because God really became man. He became incarnate. That's extremely important. <laughs> the Son of God really became man. But also th- that he will come again. He will come again in power and glory. And so, um, you know, the liturgy during Advent talks about the end times and the things that are going to happen, um, destruction and gloom, wars and disasters. But we're told that when we see wars and hear rumors of wars and see famines and plagues, and we're supposed to lift up our hand, heads, uh, lift up our heads because our redemption is near at hand. Time and again, we fall in the temptation that we want to build heaven on earth. Okay, we want a kingdom here on this earth that's going to be a kingdom where we're comfortable and we have all the things that we need for our bodies and we just want to experience pleasure and and ease. And, um, you know, we want to have a comfortable life. But what is the reality of our life here on earth? It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It doesn't matter what your position is. There's always going to be suffering. Suffering is part of our life because we rejected God's perfect plan in the Garden of Eden. Now we suffer. And so um, it, it, it's terrifying if we don't have faith. If we don't have faith, it's like, well, what's the meaning of it? And many people, you know, people get, they get sick and they start to hurt and they're like, I just want to die because I'm in pain and I don't see the purpose of it. Well, no, that's not our position as Christians. We don't want to just die and get out of it. We want to be able to unite our sufferings to Christ, right? We're all going to die. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how many degrees you have after your name. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how many wealthy people you know. We're all going to die. We're all going to get sick. It's just 
And everything that we did in this life, everything that we did, where's it going to be? You know, it ends up on the rubble of history, as it were, right? But for us as Christians, there's something more. Because we're not just looking for a finality here in this world. We're looking beyond this world to some, something else, to something greater. As Gianna Jessen says, Gianna Jessen is a, actually was born alive during a salient abortion. <laughs> and um, she was adopted by a Christian family, and she was raised to believe in Jesus Christ and his redemption. And she said, we were not made for mediocrity. We were made for greatness. So we're not made for a finality in this world. We're made to live in union with God. So we lift up our heads and we see that our redemption is near at hand. The Lord and Savior is coming and he is our great consolation. You know, we actually pray every day in the Our Father, thy kingdom come. Do we think about it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we thinking about this? Are we entering into us? Okay. And this is what Advent is about. And it's about what Christ's kingship is about too. Are we longing for his coming? Are we praying for his coming? Are we trying to speed the day of his coming? All right. You know, we have so many things to do, but actually only one thing is important, and that's God and his kingdom. All of the things of this earth that we do, all of our duties, all of our um, activities, our plans, that we should center them on the bringing about of God's kingdom. And um, the early Christians had this very acute <laughs> realization of this. As a matter of fact, they prayed, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do we pray that? So Advent means uh, preparation for receiving God's grace. The greatest grace ever granted by God to a creature was divine motherhood. It was granted to Mary of Nazareth and accepted by Mary because she was silent, listening, and obedient to God's word brought to her by the archangel Gabriel. So let's walk with the Blessed Virgin Mary at this time where, the, where our, our liturgical year is coming to an end and we're beginning a new year. We're beginning Advent, awaiting the coming of the Lord, not only in his first coming, but in his final coming. Mary lived fully in the spirit of the scriptures. Nobody understood better the need of mankind for the Redeemer than Mary, who alone was sinless. She realized the evilness and slavery of sin and the misery of fallen human nature. She felt the tension between good and evil as no other person ever felt it. Mary knew the promises of God. God had given these promises through the prophets. She was very familiar with scripture. And she truly believed. She had no doubt that God was God and he was in charge. No matter who was ruling, no matter how miserable it seemed, no matter how difficult life seemed, God is God and we are not. And she was longing for the Messiah. She was praying for his coming. And I hear that music. I guess that means it's time for a break. And, the, and I'm borrowing again from the Opus Sanctorum Angelorum newsletter for Advent uh, 2023. You might want to go on their website, opusangelorum.org, and get a copy of it. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers. Mm -hmm. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on um, this Friday between uh, the Feast of Christ the King and the beginning of Advent. So we're talking about the kingship of Christ. And are we longing for it? You know, many of the men of the Old Testament longed and prayed for the coming of God's kingdom, but nobody longed for it as much as the Blessed Virgin Mary did. And um, the fathers of the church tell us that even though the men of old did long for it, all their prayers together did not approach the intensity and the longing of the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was above all Mary's pure and faithful prayer for the coming of the Messiah, which moved the divine Redeemer into her womb at the Annunciation through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the fathers of the church wrote this, the early Christians. This is what they believed. So may God grant us this spirit of Mary, um, her receptivity for the angel's message so that um, and, and her, her silence, her, her listening, her obedience, so that um, we too might become bearers of Christ. And so Christ's kingship, Jesus Christ is the one whom the Father anointed with the Holy Spirit and established as priest, prophet, and king. The whole people of God participates in these three offices of Christ and bears the responsibility for mission and service that flow from them. So we have this responsibility that's from John Paul II, and that's out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 783. And in number 786, it says, The people of God share in the royal office of Christ. He, he exercises his kingship by drawing all men to himself through his death and resurrection. Look at John 12, 32. Christ King and Lord of the universe made himself the servant of all, for he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew twenty twenty eight. For the Christian to reign is to serve him, particularly when serving the poor and the suffering in whom the church recognizes the image of her poor and suffering founder. And of course, you can look at the gospel and the description of the last judgment. And what does Jesus say? I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you sheltered me. I was in prison or sick and you visited me. Whenever you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So Christ is king and we reign by serving with him. And how are we going to come to this? How can we motivate ourselves? Well, in this circular letter from the Opus Angelorum, that um, living like the holy angels, living with and like the holy angels, we're, that's what they're trying to teach us, right? And so there are four fundamental directions for those who are members of the Opus Angelorum. Adoration, contemplation, expiation, and mission. Our first duty is to adore the Lord our God. We are called to adore. God is God and we are not. We didn't make ourselves. The world didn't just come to, you know, just suddenly appear. You know, even, even the pagans knew 
that you can't have creation without a creator. You cannot have motion without an unmoved mover. You cannot have beauty without uncreated beauty. So there had to be someone. There had to be an intelligent person who was designing the goodness and the beauty and the order and the, uh, that we see in creation. And so we know that this is God. God is God and we are not. And he made everything. And we adore him. And what do we have a precedent? Yeah, we do have a precedent. Remember, we have the, um, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 4.21, day and night, they do not stop exclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And then you have Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God and you know, God is enthroned and the angels worship him. And again, they cry out, holy, 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 because you don't have superlatives in, in Hebrew. So instead of saying holy, holy, or holiest, it's you repeat holy three times because then it's, yes, God is holiest. There is no one holy like God. So we're called, we're called to adoration, to adore the Lord, our God. And, and the, you know, Jesus tells us in the gospel, in the gospel, remember Matthew um, eighteen ten, where the angels constantly behold my heavenly father's face. And he was talking about the little children. He said, make sure you don't despise them for their angels constantly behold my heavenly father's face. And they're in adoration. All right. They're in adoration of God. They are in submission to God. They went they made their choice in the beginning. And remember, when an angel makes a choice, there's no going back on it. Angels know, have a knowledge. They don't have a body. So they don't come to know things through the senses. They're pure spirits. So when they know, they know. And they know through and through. And so when they make a choice, it, it's, it's irrevocable. So there's no redemption for the angels who became devils who rejected God. They can't be redeemed. Because they can't, they don't repent. They will not repent of that what they did. And see, for man, we come to know things through our senses, and so we have this, you know, God gives us a second chance, right? <clears throat> but don't don't presume on that. We can't presume on that. God is God, and He is He is the Judge, and He is merciful. But His mercy is just, and His justice is merciful. He will never give us as much as we deserve in terms of punishment for our sin. We'll never get the full punishment of what we deserve. But nonetheless, if we reject him, he will honor that choice because he gives us free will. He wants us to love. And this is what we want to be moved to. We want to be moved to this point of love, like our Blessed Virgin Mary, who loved the Lord so much. She loved the Lord so much that she was incapable of sinning. She was so in love with God that nothing of this earth, no creature, no created thing could ever tempt her to turn away from him. And we can pray for a share in that love. That's what, this is what we want to do. We want to love the Lord above all else. So in, in the work of the holy angels, we know that we want to adore the Lord our God. And God deserves to be adored. He not only deserves to be adored, it's, it's a duty. It's a duty to adore him because he is God. And um, he made us, his we are, to adore God is to acknowledge him as God, 
as the creator and savior and the Lord and master of everything that exists as infinite and merciful love, as infinite and merciful love. God is love. To adore God is to acknowledge in respect and absolute submission the nothingness of the creature. We wouldn't even exist if God hadn't called us into existence. We couldn't take a single breath without his willing it. We are nothing. The nothingness of the creature who would not exist but for God. To adore God is to praise and exalt him and to humble oneself as Mary did in the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit exalts in God my Savior for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. For behold, from henceforth all generations will call me blessed because he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary's not exalting herself. She's exalting the Lord God and his works. When we praise God for his works, we're exalting him. We magnify the Lord by thanking him and praising him and adoring him and worshiping him and acknowledging the good that he has done in us and in others. Confessing with gratitude that he has done great things and holy is his name. The worship of the one God sets man free from turning in on himself. You see, when we sin, it doesn't set us free. It makes us slaves and it turns us in on ourselves. Sin darkens our intellect, it weakens our will, and it destroys the image of God in us. So we become stupid, we become weak, and we become ugly when we give ourselves over to sin. And it turns us in on ourselves, and we, we can't do anything for ourselves. We are so helpless. We don't realize how helpless. In terms of our salvation, we can't do anything. If God had not become man, there was no hope for man's salvation. Man had sinned against God. And the only hope of the redemption that it was that God himself would become man to take upon himself the price for our sins, that he would become sin, as St. Paul puts in his letter. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin to free us from the power of sin so we wouldn't be turned in on ourselves, Okay. And to free us from the slavery of sin and the idolatry of the world. Catechism of the Catholic Church, numbers 2096 and 2097. So we adore God. And that adoration should come from a heart full of love. Of love. And that when we allow ourselves to be possessed by the love of God, then we are truly free. And then we can adore God by our whole life. Everything that we do, we submit to him with a loving, joyful yes to all that he is and all that he asks of us in his providence. Okay? Remember what Job said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. As it has pleased the Lord, so has it been done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
we accept good from God, should we not also accept evil? That was after he'd lost everything he had and all of his children were killed in a single day. He had lost everything. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. As it has pleased the Lord, so has it been done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We accept good things from the Lord. Oh yeah, we're always happy when the Lord gives us good things. Should we not also accept evil? Evil wouldn't exist if we hadn't sinned. I mean, it, it existed once the angels rebelled against God, the, the devils, when they had rebelled against God, then evil came into existence because evil isn't a creation. It's the rejection of goodness. And so, and then the, the angel, the, the devils tempted man to sin and man sinned. So sin came into the world and with that death came. So the angel, the, the devil said, I will not serve. In response, we say, I will serve because the Lord God is God and he is worthy to be served. I want to thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And um, I hope you can make a donation by calling 877-526-2151. This is a pre-recorded show, so you won't be able to call in. But you can send your questions in on the app. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers um, on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So we're talking about the, um, the kingship of the Lord over us, and we're talking about this fundamental direction of the angels, the adoration. And in this adoration... We want to um, say yes to God in everything, whatever he sends, crosses, sickness, hardships, difficult person situations, and make the, all of that, that offering, make those acts of adoration of his sovereign will. This is in accord with your holy will. Remember, God never wills evil, but he does permit it to happen. The greatest evil that ever happened on this world, in the world, was deicide. Man killed God. And God allowed this to happen, the cross over my shoulder. The Son of God really died on the cross. God really knows what it means to die. Because when the body of Jesus Christ was separated from his soul, his human body and soul were separated in death, the second person of the Blessed Trinity remained united to both the dead body and his immortal soul. God knows. And so all of our trials, he shared with us. He never sinned. He's like us in all things but sin, but he shared our trials. So he knows what it means to suffer. So we can start our day. We can start our day and say, Lord, all for love of you. I accept and offer you all that this day may bring from your hands. For your church, for her priests, for my family and loved ones. This is adoration. This is saying, my God, your will, your will be done. Your will is what matters, Lord. The adoration of God expresses itself further in walking in the presence of God with grateful love, thanking him for his gifts, for our lives, for each day. 
Remember, the walking in the presence of God is the foundation of the spiritual life. We need to strive to walk in the presence of God moment by moment every day. How much God longs to share the day with us, to share our thoughts. Do we ever think of telling God what's on our mind, of, of thanking him for the gifts he's given, of telling him about the things that worry us, the things that trouble us, the things that give us joy and delight? <clears throat> This is living adoration, walking in his presence like the angels, speaking with him of our joys and sorrows, loving him and telling him that we love him in little acts during the course of the day. Already in the morning, we can ask our holy guardian angel to lift our hearts to God throughout the day so that we may live in his presence with love and joy and in grateful adoration. So that's the first fundamental direction of <clears throat> the Opus Angelorum. And they're living, the, the purpose of the Opus Angelorum, the work of the Holy Angels, is to teach us to live in imitation, imitation of the angels, but also to live in union with the angels for the building up of God's kingdom, because God is the king. Contemplation is the second fundamental <clears throat> direction. So all the ways of God are wisdom and love. The angels are those who behold, contemplate, and look upon God. I say to you, their angels in heaven always look upon the face of my heavenly father. Again, Matthew 18, 10. In silence and awe, they behold his wisdom and providence, his light and will, and they long to mediate this silent contemplative gaze to us. They want to teach us to look up to God and rest in him, to let ourselves be transformed by his wisdom and his love. We open ourselves for the wisdom of God and this light of the angels through the fundamental attitude of contemplation. So we want to contemplate God. Now, contemplation is the highest form of mental prayer. For mental prayer is traditionally divided into two kinds. You have meditation, you have contemplation. Meditation is a more active pondering and weighing of the word and salvific work of God as revealed in the sacred scripture. Particularly the gospels, holy icons, liturgical texts of the day or seasons, writings of the spiritual fathers, works of spirituality, the great book of creation and that of history, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2705. Meditation is above all a quest. The mind seeks to understand the why and how of the Christian life in order to adhere and respond to what the Lord is asking. Again, that's number 2705 in the Catechism. This pondering then leads to acts of love and desire for God, to clarity in a decision or to more zeal to grow in virtue. And the catechism goes on to say, meditation engages thought, imagination, emotion, and desire. The mobilization of faculties is necessary in order to deepen our convictions of faith, prompt 
the conversion of our heart, our hardened hearts. Lord, take away these stony hearts and give us a natural heart, a heart that's capable of loving. And strengthen our will to follow Christ. Christian prayer tries above all to meditate on the mysteries of Christ. As in Lexio Divina, that is in spiritual reading, Lexio Divina, primarily the scriptures, but also the writings of the saints and um, the liturgical the texts and the, the teachings of the church. Or the rosary. And of course, the rosary is a very biblical prayer. It's a meditation on the entire salvation history, which God wrought. This form of prayerful reflection is of great value, but Christian prayer should go further to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus to union with him. That's number 2708 in the catechism. Now, what they're referring to, they're hinting at, we should go beyond the meditation to the knowledge of the love of the Lord Jesus and to union with him. Prayer should draw us to love and to union with God himself. With God himself. So the practice of meditation disposes us to receive the gift of contemplation. Contemplation isn't something we get or that is owed to us, that we can attain or that we can... um, grasp at and clasp. Contemplation is a gift. Okay. Contemplation is a simpler and more passive. Simply looking at God, his wisdom and love. While meditation is carried out by human effort, contemplation is a gift for which we can dispose ourselves through fidelity to prayer, love and longing for God. So we should dispose ourselves for contemplation, but it's not something we are going to earn or attain by our efforts. It's a gift, a free gift. Just like our life, we didn't earn our life. We didn't attain it by our efforts. Our life was a free gift. That's why we don't throw our lives away when, when things get hard, when, when we're suffering. We don't just say, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm suffering now. I just want to die. No, all of our suffering has meaning. All of our suffering can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. We can become co-redeemers with the Lord Jesus by uniting our sufferings. Is there anything in the Bible that indicates that? Yeah, Paul in Colossians. What does he say? I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Those aren't my words. Those are the words the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write so that all Christians of all time would know all of our sufferings can be united to Christ. It is I who live now, not I, but Jesus Christ lives in me. I still live my human life, the life in this world, but it's a life of faith in the Lord Jesus. But our sufferings can fill up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. That's what Colossians says. That's what Paul writes. And that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the apostle Paul so that we know our suffering isn't meaningless. We aren't just suffering because somebody wants to beat us up and tell us we're no good. Christ suffered. Was the father telling him he was no good and and he was just beating him up? He willingly went to the cross 
to show us that all of this suffering, all this misery we created for ourselves by our sin can now be united to him and it becomes redemptive. It becomes a joy. And how many of the saints have experienced this? How many people today, even in the midst of suffering, are experiencing great joy because they're offering their sufferings in union with Christ? In union with Christ. So we want to draw, we want to enter into that contemplation. And what is that contemplation? Well, St. Teresa of Avila answers, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. That's in the book of her life. Contemplative prayer seeks him whom my soul loves. Song of Songs 1-7. I sought him whom my soul loved. Do we seek the Lord? Do we foster a love for the Lord in our heart? Are we longing for him? Are we praying for his coming? Are we praying that his kingdom would come and his will be done? Fervently praying for this. Or are we so caught up in our pleasure culture, our culture of death by the way, you know, the philosophical roots of the culture of death. Pleasure. We're here for pleasure. Really? Is that what we're here for? I hear the music again. We're coming up against another break. Um, I hope you share this with all your family and friends. Make sure you share our app. It's a pre-recorded program, so you can't call in with any questions, but you can ask questions on the app. And if you want to make a donation, call 877 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So we're talking about Christ the King and His second coming and um, his, our, our um, preparation for Advent here. And we're talking about joining the angels and adoring God and, con- and contemplating Him um, there's two other fundamental directions, expiation and mission, which we won't be able to cover fully today. But we will finish this, um, this section here on contemplative prayer. And we need to know that um, God in his mercy draws us to himself. It is God who first seeks us. And our longing for him is, is because he longs for us. And in his longing for us, he ignites in us a desire to be in union with him. So we can respond to that. We have to make a choice. That's, that's up to us. We, God's not going to force us, okay? We have to make the choice, and we have to take the time. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2709, which I was reading before the break, it is Jesus, and in him the Father, Okay, him whom my soul longs for, him whom my soul loves. That's Jesus and the Father. We seek him because to desire him is always the beginning of love. To desire him is the beginning of love. And we seek him in the pure faith which comes, causes us to be born of him and to live in him. In this inner prayer, which we call contemplation, 
We can still meditate, but our attention is fixed on the Lord himself. Again, that's number 2709, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So we want to walk hand in hand with the angel in this direction of contemplation, but we have to learn silence of the heart. We have to still our heart and we have to detach ourselves from all our anxieties, our cares, our desires, our restlessness, so that we can be free to rest in God. You know, remember the seed that fell among the thorns and the cares of this world choked it off? Yeah, their cares and anxieties, they can choke off the life of God in us. We need to take time to rest in the Lord and not allow the concerns of the world, real concerns and anxieties and cares to choke off our relationship with God. This resting in God is not to be practiced only during set times of prayer, but like adoration is to be lived throughout the day. That living in the presence of God, being aware that he is always there. God is God and we are not. Nothing can happen that he doesn't allow. Nothing. And if he allows it, he'll bring good out of it. He intends good. If we're suffering, God intends a greater good to come from it. If we're having a joy, God intends a greater good. So we need to trust the Lord and we need to ask for this trust. We attain to rest in God by turning to him in our hearts and finding rest in him a thousand times throughout the day. We need to exercise ourselves. I remember once talking to some young people and telling them that we should be thinking about God all the time. And one of them said, that's just too much work. No, it's not too much work. What do you spend your time thinking about? There are lots of things you spend your time thinking about. That's your meditation. You just need to change the subject of your meditation and make it God instead of yourself or your own plans or your desire for money or your desire for wealth or your desire for pleasure or ease or your desire for friends or um, human acknowledgement. Okay, We need to, re- to change the subject of our meditation. That's all. We must learn to seek, like Mary of Bethany, the one thing necessary. Remember? Mary is there sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha comes and says, Lord, aren't you concerned that my sister has left me to take care of all the household duties by myself? And he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and concerned about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part and she will not be deprived of it. God alone. God alone. God alone. In all our actions and duties of our state in life, Soli Deo, Soli Deo, God alone, to live for God alone. Mother Gabriella, who is the foundress of the Opus Angelorum, writes, Today man rushes through his day with unequaled restlessness and disorientation. He cannot calm down. Everything must be done fast and even faster. The offers of everything he can see or hear of events in which he can participate, of the things he can have are almost unlimited. And the person becomes addicted. Even in the church, the rushing world has already captivated the people. Does one not hear again and again, I have no time. I don't have enough time for that. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church. I'm too busy. 
The curve of activism is becoming even more steeply inclined while the creative spirit of living meditation is dying out. So the angel tries to inspire us. The angel wants to call on us. Get up. There's only one thing necessary. The one thing necessary is for you to be in union with God. God alone. God alone. God alone. You only are Lord. You only, O Lord, are Lord. The angel does not know haste nor fragmentation into many things. And precisely in this way, he does everything on time, is always punctual, because he looks always to God and through God, knows and does everything at the proper time, makes an effort in order, makes an effort to order everything to God, soli deo to contemplate everything as coming from God and accept everything from him. God at the center of your being, that must be your resolve. We need an interior silence, a resting in God. We have to shut off the noise. I remember the, my, my kids, there was a song that said, if I'm, at, if, this, if I'm adding to the noise, turn off this song. And I'm like, well, turn it off, shut it off. Shut off the video, the stereo, the radio. Yeah, shut it off. It's adding to the noise. Just shut it off. We're done. We need silence. We need to enter into the silence, but we're afraid. Because to enter into the silence means that I have to stand alone before God naked, and I have to look at myself and my sins and say, Lord, I need you. I have nothing that I can bring to you but my sins. But you know what we can bring to him with our sins? Our sorrow for them. If we'll stop, stop. And stop the noise, but but also the interior dialogue. You know that's that's sometimes it's not just the external noise. I mean, we shut off the external noise, and then there's this interior dialogue, and it's like these wheels running inside of us, a thousand miles. It's like, oh my gosh, this person looked at me this way today. Oh, what are they going to do to me? Uh, you know, this person said this, or this person has threatened to put me to court, and and they're going to do this and that and the other thing. And it's like, well, why don't we look at God and ask the Lord for a solution, and ask the Lord for peace, ask the Lord for His will. We need to um, calm our hearts down. We need to calm our lives down. We need to turn off the entertainments. We need to get quiet before God. We need to learn to um, live in his presence. And then we might be disposed to receive wisdom from him. The manner of your personal communion with God will pass more and more from the words, from words to light, to beholding, and then you will remain with your angel before God as one. So if we'll quiet ourselves down, if we'll enter into contemplation, if we'll enter into that spirit of quiet, of God's presence, of knowing the Lord our God, of wanting the Lord to be Lord and to acknowledge that he is God and we are not, then in that silent place, the Lord can come to us and he can lift us into the contemplation. If we don't do the hard work of the meditation, and that was that the saints had many, um, if you read Teresa of Avila's um, The Way of Perfection um, and Interior Castles, and she talks about prayer and she talks about, 
you know, first you, you have a garden and you have to water the garden. So first you, you get a bucket and you go to the well and you pull up the water from the well. And then you, you know, you keep, you know, or, you know, every once in a while, maybe there'll be rain and then you don't have to water it because, oh, wow, the work was all done for you. Well, that's, that's God's gift to you. But then, you know, maybe after a while you can irrigate the garden and it's not so much work. And that's what prayer is like. But there's hard work. And part of the hard work is to overcome ourselves, our own attachment to pleasure, our own attachment to comfort and ease. Um, you, you, I suggest you get the um, spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, I believe the image um, book version of it. Um, if you have a version that doesn't have the word sin in it, you don't have the right one. Um, and, and in there, he teaches us how to pray meditative prayer and how to not, not close off. We don't empty ourselves. We're not, we're not trying to empty ourselves. We're trying to quiet our interior life so that we can listen to the voice of God. And God speaks to us through Holy Scripture and through the teachings of the church and through the liturgical prayers. God speaks to us. So we need to have the, um, the material, the raw material for meditation, God's word. But, but to have that quiet, contemplative attitude before God, where Jesus, remember after the apostles, they do all this work, and Jesus says, come away to an out-of-the-way place where you can rest a while. Did you ever wonder why, um, you know, when Jesus crosses the lake after he feeds the 5,000 and then his apostles are going across the lake and then the crowd gets to the other side of the lake before him. How is it that the crowd got around the lake before Jesus and his apostles crossed the lake in a boat? Wow. I didn't come up with this insight. Somebody mentioned it to me because the quiet place Jesus took them to was the center of the lake. And there he taught them how to enter into prayer, how to enter into silence and quiet, how to listen to the voice of the Father, even as he himself did. And so, yeah, it took a long time for them to get across that lake because they weren't going directly across. They were in the middle of the lake and they were contemplating together. So we want to enter into these fundamental directions of the angels and we want to be ready. We want to empty ourselves of the things of this world and our anxieties of this world in order that we can be in union with God every moment of every day throughout our lives. And I do want to thank all our benefactors and all our listeners. And I hope you're all sharing this app with your friends and letting them know that we're out here, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and, and checking out all of our shows. And uh, I hope you have a very holy Advent. And let's really prepare for Christmas. Make a place for Christ in our lives. Let's spend more time in prayer. We need to pray. It's our lifeline. We will die without it. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. And I hope to join you again next week.